Don't encourage me. Do not. All right, I need to... We have some elders here tonight, and I don't, you know, I don't want you to get me in trouble. Now, we are so glad that you are here. I, I need to hear you say the word hoopa. So I can kind of see you. I'm glad you still chose to stay there, even though you saw you wouldn't be able to see much. I, I like that that area is so significant. All right, so tonight. Uh, we're, uh, we're just going to cut straight to, uh, to the serious stuff. We're glad that you are with us. If you're tuning in uh, online, we are so thrilled that so many of you have been participating that way. And uh, tonight, um, we just want to have what we've been calling a healing service. And that doesn't mean uh, that for everybody that gets prayed for tonight, tomorrow will be a brand new day and none of the old feelings will be there. None of the old temptations will be there. No, we believe this is a step in the journey. And it doesn't matter if you've walked with Jesus for 50 years or you've walked with Jesus for five minutes. We believe there's a place for you in this journey. So I've told you a bit of my story. I left when I graduated college. I, uh, I became an investment banker. Some of you know this. And, um, and God yanked me out of that and called me into church work. And so I became a youth pastor. And during my youth pastor tenure, I was just in the middle of, of you know, pornography. I was in the middle of, of some crazy, crazy stuff, um, living in ways that were totally not honoring to God. And the paradox of being a youth pastor teaching the kids not to do X, Y, and Z while I was doing X, Y, and Z was just a bit too much for me after a while. And so for the first time, I'd never done this. I'd never obviously worked in a church before, but I went to the elders of the church and I confessed to them one elder meeting, all of the junk that was in my heart. And um, I felt like God had said to be ruthless in doing that. And so I didn't hide anything. I didn't justify anything. I just said, here's what I'm doing. And God was so gracious to me. Because these were people of grace and of truth. And so they loved me. They prayed for me. They didn't reject me or fire me. But they did say, this is symptom of a much deeper thing. And so they gave me a path to walk towards restoration. It involved some counseling. It also involved a week alone in the woods in a cabin. Okay, now, no TV. The internet had not yet been widely understood yet. And, it, and, and if you had it, it was AOL, and it was terribly, it was horrible. So I had no cell phone, no, no telephone, no TV, no radio, me, a Bible, a journal, and a cabin 
for a week. It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. It, for the first three days, I stayed fairly busy. Memorizing Bible verses, journaling and writing out prayers, doing all the kind of religious stuff you do if you want to avoid God. <laughs> but kind of on the third night, I couldn't escape. And God showed me my heart. And my heart was ugly. And my heart was bent and dark. And instead of memorizing all of the to-do passages, God directed me to a couple of psalms that have become sort of life, ways of living. And he deeply impressed upon me the meaning of two words, confession and repentance. These are old kind of religious words that lose a bit of their meaning because they're so often overused or misused. Confession, confession just means to speak out. It means to take what's in here and take it and put it out here. It means not just to, yeah, 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 I made a mistake. It means to say, no, 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 this is what's lurking in the deepest places. Confession is a place where you don't rationalize, you don't justify, you don't defend. You just admit to the darkness, to the degree to which you see it. To confess isn't magic, but I will say that secrecy gives sin much of its power. David reflects this in one of the Psalms that God really invited me into. Psalm 32. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. Put it up on the screen. David, of course, was a man who, in the Old Testament, anointed by God, made king, but still sinned pretty blatantly. The most famous of his sins is adultery he committed with a woman named Bathsheba. She was married at the time to a man named Uriah. Uriah was serving in David's army. When David committed adultery with her, he brought Uriah back from the front lines and said, hey, why don't you go spend some quality time with your wife? Hoping that they would sleep together and his indiscretion would be covered. When he refused, he got Uriah drunk and made the same offer. Uriah refused, and so David ultimately had him killed. This, this is the king of Israel. And there were moments in his journey when he reflected on this. Psalm 32, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent... Okay, so when he didn't confess, when he just stuffed it, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. 
Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all, faith, all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. So the idea, David said, is listen, during this rebellion of his, during this disobedience, there were times when he just stayed silent. And he describes what was happening inside as if, her, as if his bones were wasting away. And some of you know exactly what that feels like, right? One of the things that happens in church work is that people come up and confess all sorts of crazy things. And one of the questions I always ask when they confess things is, does anybody else know? And 90% of the time, the answer is no. Nobody else knows. You understand, of course, you were not made to carry all of this alone. You were not made to carry this by yourself. And so David says, my strength was sapped until I took what was in here and brought it out. That's what happened when I went before my elders. I I was naive. I didn't know that that could have gone horribly wrong in the hands of, you know, some people that weren't full of grace and truth. But instead what happened is God's kindness and their kindness led me to repentance. So I began to confess in my journal Not hide, not memorize, not excuse, not rationalize, but confess. I still have the journal to this day of every dark part of my heart that God was revealing. And what was interestingly, what what was interesting to me was in that darkness, I didn't feel despair. I didn't feel condemnation. I felt liberated that it it was out there. I was finally seeing it. Because whispering in my spirit was Jesus of Nazareth saying, hey, the gospel's for you. Hey, I touch unclean people. I, I do, this is what I do. It's okay, it's for you. And so tonight we just want to create a place where if God stirs, we take what's in here and we bring it out to the light. David gives us a great example of this in a psalm This was the psalm that I just soaked in, Psalm 51. The introduction of the psalm says, A psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow." Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. 
so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is what? A broken and contrite spirit. See, God is looking for a certain kind of heart. He's not looking for a heart that is proud, a heart that justifies itself, a heart that is defensive or rationalizes the sin away. He's looking for a heart that is broken and humble. And in David's confession, you hear no pretense, no deceit, no pretending. You hear ruthless honesty. Because the shock when you come before God in honesty is you realize you are loved in your badness. You are still loved in your sin. That you don't have to hide. As one of my spiritual mentors would tell me all the time, prayer is not a place to be good. It's a place to be honest. See, we still believe that God works the way the world does. By performance. We're still convinced if we really sat in our crud, if we really sat in our darkness and were honest about it, God would have the same response as many people would have. He'd be horrified, shocked, surprised. He'd run. So confession becomes this place where we learn in our darkness we are loved. And when you learn that, dealing with sin and shame moves to an entirely different level. See, the lesson for me of the cabin was that I'd just been pretending and minimizing. And God invited me to be ruthless in confession. And so tonight, we want to be ruthless in confession. God also taught me what it means to repent. Now, there is an old-fashioned Bible word, right? If you're going to carry a sign, repent or perish is a popular choice. And repent doesn't mean feeling bad. Repent doesn't mean saying you're sorry. Repent means you turn. You were heading this way, and now you're going this way. Best definition of repentance I have ever seen came from a poem. It's called An Autobiography in Five Short Chapters. Chapter one, I walk down the street There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes me forever to find a way out. Chapter 2. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's now a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. So I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5. I walk down a different street. For me, that was the journey. Repentance 
wasn't walking down the same street and avoiding the hole. Repentance was walking down a different street. See, what does God do with a heart that is broken and humble? God restores. He renews. He forgives. He cleanses. But we have a part to play in that. That part is repentance. It is our turning away from the darkness. And so I've told you about what that looks like for me. It's not just a one-time thing. It's an entire lifestyle. It's having accountability where other people have freedom. It's having boundaries. It's not having safari on my phone. It's making sure my wife has all the passwords. It's having software on my computer so that every website I go to is recorded and sent to other trusted men. I don't do this because sin is at my door daily, but I do this because it could be. Repentance is getting rid of the computer. Repentance is ending the relationship. Repentance is a commitment to living in light rather than darkness. Not just in here or in here, but in the way you actually live. We don't do this to earn God's favor. We do it because we've already got it. We do it because we're so sick of what slavery feels like. There has to be another street to walk down. This isn't magic. This is just relationship. In any of our earthly relationships, when there is sin, what do we do? We confess, and I promise that I will work to not be that way again. Now, because this is gospel, we recognize we can't solve it ourselves. So what repentance does is it pushes the sin away so that God gets a chance to work in our hearts. And so I talk to guys all the time. Yeah, I really struggle with pornography. Okay, well, how do you struggle with it? Well, on the computer. Well, where's your computer? Right next to my bed. Do you have any filters, safeguards? No. Are you willing to get rid of your computer? No. Are you willing to put accountability software on it? No. Well, then you will stay in darkness until you get sick enough of it. Because at some point, you'd rather lose the computer than live in that. And so our hope has been, over the last several weeks, that a few of us have experienced both the grace and the truth of Jesus to the place where a turn is required. Not required in the sense of God loving us or forgiving us, but a turn is required in the sense that we're now fighting for freedom. And so for me, that turn was very, very specific in the cabin. Here are all the ways I have to make amends, ask forgiveness, and now live a different life. So this is the journey, brothers and sisters. It's not a one-time thing, but it is out of an identity that is stable and secure in Jesus... We simply live the kind of lives where we admit we're still in process and that there are parts of our lives that need extra protecting. And I tell you the truth, that struggle is worth it. That I've seen not instantaneous healing, oh, how I would have loved that, but instead the slow, steady, gradual change and what I hunger and thirst for. The reason now I war against pornography isn't because 
I think it's wrong and evil, although I certainly do. It's now because I don't want it in my life. Do you see the difference? It's like changing your diet from Twinkies to broccoli. It takes some time, (laughs) as I am learning. Now, it's not just, I, I, I myself have lived this, but my wife has too. And so she is so courageously willing to share a bit of her story tonight. Because as you become one flesh, you both bring in your stories. And so she has just been willing tonight to share a little bit about her journey. Come on up, Jay. This is my wife, Justina. So a couple of things. She's real. And she's, she's foxy. I'm not going to lie. All right. Um, hi. Um, I'll just start. I grew up in what I'd like to call um, a Christmas Easter home, Christian home. I thought it was Christian because we celebrated Christmas and Easter. Um, But to be honest, I didn't know that Easter had anything to do with something other than chocolate and bunnies until I was about 12. Um, I was kind of under the illusion that we were Christian. We didn't go to church. We did every once in a while, I think, out of guilt. But for the most part, we didn't. Um, but I was a good kid. I was a moral kid. Um, I was there, just had a good moral compass inside me. When I was in high school, I actually um, started to go to church on my own. I walked a mile to church and was part of a youth group. But I grew up in a, um, a small town. And so all the other kids that were in the youth group, I knew that they were out drinking and partying and having sex and just kind of couldn't figure out what that meant. I just really didn't understand um, what it meant to be a I just didn't understand it at all. I had no way of understanding it. But I was a good kid. I was a moral kid. Um, my, just before my senior year in high school, um, riding in the car with my mom, she looks over at me just out of the blue and says, this shouldn't come as a surprise to you, but your father and I are getting a divorce. It was a shock. I had, no, I, I had no idea. They never fought in front of us. Um, when that's the only kind of relationship you know, seeing your parents, you don't know what's a good or a bad relationship. You really don't. Mm-hmm. I left the next day for basketball camp, came back Sunday night. Dad was moving out. Mom was there. It was just crazy. And then a month later, my first month of high school, Mom moved out and in with her, I guess, boyfriend, and Dad moved back in. And um, my dad was bipolar and really more on the depressed side than the, I don't know if I ever saw him manic, to be honest. And it just was a real struggle. Senior year, I had a younger brother. My older brother already in a lot of trouble out of the house. And I, I started to rebel just a little here, a little there. You know, I would stay out and drink a little bit, you know, back in the 80s, wine coolers. Woo! <laughs> and, um, but still just a good kid. You know, I'd seen my friends starting to have sex, and I just, I was not going to go there. I just didn't want to. I, I, it wasn't even, I can't even say it was necessarily a relationship with God at all. I just morally knew that it was, it was wrong, so I didn't. So um, my senior year, spring break, what, eight months later, seven months later, went uh, to 
Daytona Beach, because that's what you do in the Midwest, you go to Daytona, and was out one night with friends, and um, I, I was raped. And basically, that was the last straw for me. Um, a month later, my parents divorced, and um, I just kind of felt like God could care less about me. It was very obvious that he didn't care to me at the time, um, so I pretty much turned my back to any for, sort of relationship I was trying to find with him. I totally turned my back on it. Um, went to college pretty much on my own. My parents were in their own lives, so I was pretty much doing that on my own. And um, I would say in those four years, I probably thought about God less than a handful of times. Um, some of my saving graces were that I had to put myself through college, so I worked. It kept me out of more trouble than I could have been in. But my insecurities led me um, to have inappropriate relationships with guys. And I did get to a point where I was just so disgusted with myself. I actually was dating a guy, and we actually, at age 24, got engaged. And Well, because he read the Bible twice, and you know, and his parents went to church. They were Christian, right? But when I went to his house that was two, you know, two hours away, his parents let us sleep together in his room. And I just, I really started to slowly think, this doesn't seem right. Um, you say you're Christian, but from all I've ever known that that's not what's supposed to be happening. So I was really confused about it. Um, again, no one had ever invited me to church. No one had ever tried to explain it. I just was really confused about it. Um, and at that, at that point, it started about a four-year journey of trying to figure it out. And um, he and I broke up, thank the Lord. And um, Amen. Amen. <laughs> For so many reasons. Thank, thank you, Jesus. Um, <laughs> just a funny side note. When I was 24, I... I never played the lotto when I played it, and I, I matched five out of six numbers. I missed 14 million by a digit, and I've never been so happy to lose the lotto in my life because I don't think he would have broken up with me if I had 14 million. So, anyway, back to my story. That's all right. You can <laughs> win that any time, baby. Okay. That's just fine. I'll try again. Um, That's just all right. Anyway, so I, I kind of swung really <laughs> far the other way. I, I joined a CBS Bible study, and I, then I started going to the small church where they were just so, you know, this, you tithe, and you, you know, you read your Bible, and I became really religious. I, um, I was teaching third grade Sunday school. I mean, if you want to be a good Christian, you teach third grade Sunday school, just let me tell you. <laughs> That was not easy. And I, I read my Bible, and I prayed. And, but you introduced me into another relationship with a guy, and I can't tell you I'm not going to have sex with him. I was so insecure at that point. Um, honestly, I thought that that was the only way you kept a relationship with a guy. And hmm. I, didn't, I just didn't know. I never saw a guy pray. I never saw it. I didn't grow up with it. I didn't know any better, I guess. Such a stupid thing to say now, but I guess at that time I just didn't know. Um, I moved to California when I was 27 and had gotten out of a long on and off again relationship and really felt like if this 
part of my life isn't going to go anywhere. I'm, I'm just, I'm moving. My best friend lived here, so I moved out here. And about three months later, I um, went on a retreat with uh, our church at the time. My church at the time was Mariner's Church. And we missed the first night. I don't even, you know, whatever. We were late. And I go the next day, and I, I really, at this point, felt like um, I had found a good spot with God, but I, it was funny, I was listening to Mercy Me this morning on the radio, and it, this verse just, it slammed me. I knew that God was talking to me. He said, I've been the one held down in chains beneath the weight of all my shame. I've been the one to believe that where I am, you cannot reach. And I think that at that, that point in my life, that's where I was. I was at a point where I didn't feel like I was ever going to be good enough to be a Christian. Didn't matter my feelings towards God or how I craved it and I wanted I just wasn't ever going to be good enough so I was just going to stay stagnant where I was and we went into that night's meeting and all I remember is blah 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 and then (laughs) it was on Adam and Eve and he said face it you will never be good enough that's why you need Jesus and so I actually had my like shining light moment fall to the ground sobbing earlier in that day I'd walked in that room and saw men around tables praying first time in my life. And at that, at that point, I'm on the ground sobbing, and all I had were gentlemen handing me Kleenex. You know, it was one of the first times where I wasn't taken advantage of in my weakness. And um, it was crazy. So for the next 10 months, I just was on fire. I started volunteering in junior high ministry again. Uh, especially we love we, you, junior hires. We love you. I teach it but all you're day crazy. long. I you're teach it all day crazy. long. So it was probably not wise. Anyway, I decided to go on a. Um, so my just because I knew God had forgiven me, it wasn't That's done right. for me. Um, I didn't tell anyone. No one knew. And I, I figured that if I told them, they wouldn't let me volunteer in junior high ministry anymore. I would be disqualified. I guess that was the appropriate word. So I went on a, a missions trip to the Ukraine. And I was one of the older people on the trip. So I figured, you know, the whole everybody's going to give their testimony thing wouldn't apply to me because I could just get out of it. And um, I know, seriously. The lead pastor came to me one afternoon and said, it's your turn, you're, you're up. And I said, I, oh, no, I, I can't. And I said, could I please go tomorrow? And I literally spent the whole afternoon in my room hmm. praying. And um, we, were in, we were at a camp for um, kids who had lost parents to the Chernobyl um, incident and there was about 400 kids, Ukrainians there, and God made it perfectly clear. So when I was listening to Mike earlier, that I had to give it a hundred percent. You know, all the testimonies up to then, where I grew up in a Christian home, but it wasn't till 12 that I found my personal relationship with Jesus. And I'm like, that's not <laughs> that's not my testimony. And it, God made it clear that I couldn't just sugarcoat it with this glazed over. And I made mistakes, you know, this glazed over. He said, you need to tell all of it. And um, he was very gracious to me. I was up on stage, about six, 600 people out there. And, of course, I had to be interpreted. So everything I say, I'd have to pause. And they'd interpret it and they'd say it again. So I'm like, and I felt, I can still see it, feel it. I felt like I had a bubble around me. I felt just perfect peace when I was giving it. But when I was done, I just ran out of the room and sobbed. Because you have to understand, I was there with 20 people that I'd been doing ministry with. There was one boy there who was, I was his teacher. I was his middle school math teacher. 
And I thought, oh my goodness, they're not gonna, they're not even gonna speak to me anymore now that they know. And they just came out and loved me. My students said, um, I love you even more because you're real. And so I felt like I had gotten over my second hump. People um, mm. were gonna accept me. I wasn't gonna be thrown out or um, shunned. So I was um, 28 at the time, and uh, yeah, then along comes him. And of course I'm thinking, yeah, I, I met him shortly before I went on the trip, and then we started dating about a month after. And I felt like, well, okay, of course, if, I, if a guy ever finds out about this, he'll never want to stay with me, much less. And again, what is a pastor? When you're just a new Christian, that's like, tab, like whoa, you're a pastor. You know, that he's perfectly got it all together. True. True. And, um, you know, I'm going to hold her later. I'm just been staring at her. Um, anyway. There's a little baby. Just to be clear, this oh. wasn't one of the... No, I just... Been, I saw her... Junior hires up front. You know, every now and again, no. she's... Anyway, um, so I don't recommend this, but we were 28 years old, we were a little bit older, and I thought, oh my goodness, I am not going to get in a relationship and start dating someone, and, you know, months into it, tell him the truth, and then he'll be like, oh, that was nice, but I'll see you later. And um, so I, I don't recommend that you dump it on him the third time you go out with him, but that's what I did. <laughs> And basically, it was the whole, like, um, well, if you aren't going to date me, here's going to be why. And, you know, bring on the tears, here's why. And I told him, and, oh, my word, um, God used him so much in that moment because here was his response. That's not so bad. I have sinned, too. Your sin isn't any worse than mine. What? (laughs) Who does that? And so I, that, it was in that time where I, it's like you know because the Bible tells you that God forgives you, but he showed me through um, the people on the trip. He, sh- he has shown me continuously over and over again through Mike um, that Mike understands God's grace and God's forgiveness. Um, I've given this testimony quite a few times. And one of the saddest times um, was we did it for Biola and the number of girls who had been dating pastors who once they found out that they had um, mm-hmm. had sex broke up with them because they deserved to be with a virgin. Breaks my heart that someone who professes to be a man of God would treat him that way. Um, I feel like there was something else I wanted to say but I can't remember. I'd say you killed it. Uh, well, that's not what it was but it was important and I can't remember what I wanted to say. Um, Anyway, all that is to say, it was a long journey getting there. Um, Satan really attacked me a lot leading up to us getting married. Um, we were only engaged five weeks, and that, those five weeks were really hard. I was pounded with the whole idea that I wasn't good enough to be married to him. And um, he does. He doesn't, want, he doesn't want you to turn to the, you know, the the right side so he he attacks you I just totally he does but um it's been amazing God's used my story to help others he's honored it and um he's he's just shown me that to not be to not be ashamed because it's been used for his glory not for mine amen hey 
proud of you. So, so for both of us, we, I grew up uh, going to youth group. She grew up coming late to Jesus. But for both of us, it was the same story, right? That you have this stuff, and the fear is that it defines you, that it will cause you to be enslaved, that it, def- that it defines you to the place where that becomes your identity. And we just simply say that's not true. We believe that Jesus of Nazareth touches people today and heals them. We believe Jesus of Nazareth touches people today and forgives them. And we believe that there is utterly nobody here in this room that has fallen too far or sinned too much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no worries. Just really quick, I spent many years um, blaming the fact that I had been raped um, for for the road I led myself on. And um, when I was in premarital counseling, and just, it was so hard to hear it, but I needed it so much. Um, Eric Hurd, who used to be a pastor here, said to me, you didn't lose your virginity when you were raped. You lost it when you chose to give it away. And um, I needed to hear that because I had spent so much of my time blaming others and almost forgiving myself for the road I let myself get on when in actuality it was my fault. I did put myself there and um, I needed to hear that because I'd spent a good 10 years blaming that and -hmm. forgiving myself for what I did because that's the cause of it and it wasn't, it was my choice after that, so. Thanks, Ben, thank you. So. So here's what we're going to do. I was going to go into kind of a long thing about what these hoopas are and represent, but I will spare you. Um, Suffice it to say that in the biblical story, very often God's presence took the form of a cloud. So at Mount Sinai, there was a cloud that covered the mountain. When the, the glory of the Lord in the form of a cloud filled the tabernacle, it said that God led his people through the wilderness with a cloud. In, in First Kings, it says the glory of the Lord in the form of a cloud filled the temple later on in the biblical story. And then in the, in the book of Isaiah, there's this beautiful picture where it says, God says, I will make my glory like a canopy over you. And instead of the glory of the Lord resting over a place, now it was going to rest over people. And so what the ancient Jews did is they began to get married under hoopas. Now, ours are a bit more formal. What What theirs were, were literally, it was a prayer shawl attached to four sticks that four people would hold over the couple as they got married. And the imagery was drawn from Exodus 19 where God married his people under the cloud. So the cloud symbolized God's presence, the hoopah symbolized God's presence. The the cloud symbolized God's love, the hoopah symbolized God's love. The cloud symbolized God's blessing, the hoopah symbolized God's blessing. And even today in some Jewish weddings, they will get married under a hoopah. So the hoopah came to be used as an image of God's blessing. In fact, some Jewish theologians taught that when, when newlyweds would make love, that the Spirit of the Lord hovered over them and blessed their union. This was how integrated their worldview was, that sex wasn't something that was naughty, it was something that was holy. And so tonight, 
in just a symbolic way, we want to invite you, no matter if you're 15 or you're 50, to bring your sexuality again under God's blessing and to do that symbolically by standing under this piece of white fabric. To simply say, God, I invite your blessing to rest on me. And this is going to look different for different people, right? Some of you are here, you're married, and your marriage, it's difficult. The early infatuation of youth, the romance of the newly married has fled, and just years of resentments and distance have built up. So maybe standing under the hoopah for you is just saying, God, we invite you to come and renew. Remind me. Help me to delight in the wife or my husband of my youth. Maybe you're here, you're single, and you're lonely. Maybe standing under the hoopah for you just means, God, my singleness doesn't define me. And that even though I yearn for this sort of relational connection, I will not settle. I invite your blessing even over my singleness. Maybe for you, you're dating, and you don't know if he or she is the one. Maybe standing under the hoopah for you is just asking God's wisdom. Maybe you're dating and you're in sin. Standing under the hoopah for you is that confession and repentance. God, create a hunger and a thirst for purity in our relationship. Maybe you're here, you've been abused. It is shocking the number of people we're hearing from who've had things done to them that are so tragic. Maybe under the hoopah for you is just a way of saying, God, I pray for your healing over this area of my life. Please understand, we don't think there's anything magic about two by fours and white fabric, right? But at the same time, we do believe there is great power in symbols. When you take the bread and you take the cup, when you go down into the water and you come back up, when you step under a piece of white fabric at the culmination of a long journey, there's power to remember those moments and the intentions of your will that led you there. So it doesn't matter if you are young or you're old, you're married or you're single, each and every one of you is just invited to receive the grace and the blessing that God gives, to be made new. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I urge you, not out of religious duty, fear, or obligation, to give your life to him tonight, to allow him to touch you, to clean you up. We believe he doesn't require you to get cleaned up first. The biblical stories over and over and over, Jesus was compelled to those who the religious establishment deemed on the outside, on the margins, too sinful or wicked. And so brothers and sisters, we just invite you tonight to come. We've assembled a team of our elders, team of prayer folks, team of lay counselors to just come. And what we're going to do in just a few moments is we're just going, going to play worship music and we're going to invite you to come and stand under a hoopah and receive prayer. 
for some of you to confess, for some of you to just pray God's blessing or healing or deliverance over you. And then we want to encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to come to the Lord's table, table, to take bread and dip it in the cup as a powerful reminder that this isn't moralism. This isn't legalism. This is gospel. This is grace. In other words, this is for people who don't have it together, who can't fix themselves, who are at the end of their rope, and who feel perpetually unclean. The gospel is for you. The word given to me in the cabin is the word for you tonight. It's for you. It's for you. It's for you. The bread, the cup, it's for you. This blessing's for you. And so here's the way it's going to work. First of all, we believe that God answers prayer. We believe that he heals. We believe that he delivers. We believe that there could be some folks tonight who literally experience an instantaneous release from bondage. We also believe that God heals through process, through a journey, through relationships. One of the things that Justy highlights that is so powerful is that her healing didn't come instantaneously. It came in relationship. For some of you who've been abused, for some of you who've been betrayed, you take a ministry like our Healing Hearts Ministry. For women, they meet on Monday night for women who've been victims of sexual abuse or sexual betrayal. A ministry like that is designed, and we have many others, designed to walk the walk. Because sometimes a prayer for healing is one marker on the road to freedom. It's not the defining marker, it's just one marker. And so we walk the following balance. On the one hand, we believe God heals and delivers instantaneously. And on the other hand, we believe that God heals and delivers over time. And I don't know which it will be for you. But we believe it will be for you. We don't know when and we don't know how. And so brothers and sisters, no guilt, no shame. You can just sit and watch if you'd like. No one's keeping track or taking attendance. But we just want to invite you as we open up this place to come. This is the culmination of the journey that started 10, 11 weeks ago with the idea that we're not animals and we're not angels. We have physical desires, but we're not defined by them. But for far too many of us, the physical desires rule. And so we just want to be a community that prays no matter where you are, that God would give grace and mercy. So, three different parts of tonight. First part, we're going to assemble our elders. There's a passage in the book of James that says, that you should go and confess. Uh, if you are sick and need healing, go before the elders and they will pray for you. And that passage is right next to the confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. And so we believe there is power and authority in the overseers that God has selected. So we've asked elder couples to kind of come under the hoopas. We have lay counselors. We have a care team. For some of you, this journey has brought up just such brutal stuff. And we just want to provide a place where you can come and talk and get more resources. We have these white sheets of paper along the front. 
These are lists of resources, support groups, networks, counselors. For some of you, you need help. We don't shame you. We just simply say there is so much available. And so we urge you to take advantage of what's here. And then lastly, after you've visited the hoopah, we invite you to take the bread and the cup in your own time and in your own way as a memorial that this is grace. It's a gift. So no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, we invite you to come and just to allow us to pray. All right? So close your eyes if you would for a moment. Elders and prayer folks, why don't you guys come on up? And if you're a junior high or high school student, we actually have some staff that are here to pray, to listen. But for the rest of us, we just want to close our eyes a moment. And we want to take just some time in quiet to pray. I don't know what God has been saying to you in the journey, whether you're inspired or despairing, whether you're hopeful, convicted, but we just invite you. If you're online, we invite you just to join us in worship, in praying for the community and taking advantage of the resources that are online, but we just want to be a community tonight that is safe above all else, that you are welcome, that no one is perfect. We're not a place that's going to sit and throw rocks at each other because none of us can cast the, cast the first stone. So we come and simply invite you to take advantage of this. So Lord Jesus, we invoke your name and person to come and to walk among us, to bring grace where there is condemnation, to bring truth where there are lies, to bring life where there is death, to bring light where there is darkness, to bring conviction where there is sin, and to bring hope where there is despair. Lord God, all we have to give is you. That's all we got. And so our prayer, God, for our brothers and sisters is that that would be enough and that you would do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And tonight, God, we pray that we might feel your blessing, the blessing that comes and the freedom that comes from intimacy with you, from confession, from turning. And so, Father, have mercy on us. We are a broken people. We've all fallen short. We all are in desperate need of the redeeming grace and mercy of Jesus. And so we come tonight. Father, I pray for healing and deliverance. I pray for freedom and for grace. I pray that you would restore to some the joy of their salvation. That this isn't burdensome. The cost of purity is great. But the cost of impurity is greater. And that those who are brokenhearted, that you tonight would draw near them and that you would set them free. So brothers and sisters, there are folks under the hoopah, and we're just gonna take however long, half hour, 45 minutes, an hour, whatever it is, we're gonna turn the lights down a little bit. 
we're going to invite you to worship along with us. And then as God leads you, come, come, come. So um, if you would keep the lights low and we'll, um, if our tech crew could just put on some soft music after I'm done praying, we just want to give people all the permission in the world to stay up here, continue. But um, we want to close tonight uh, just by blessing you. Thank you for being so faithful and courageous and walking the journey with us. We want to be a community where this is the norm and not the exception. And so would you hold out your hands and just kind of a gesture of receiving. And it is my privilege to pray over you what for generations the priests would pray over the people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And may he give you peace. Go in grace and truth. Amen and amen. Thank you. Go if you would. Bless you. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. And now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.